Would you stand with me at the preaching or the reading of God's perfect word? This is, in God's estimation, what you need to hear from him this morning and and for this week. Jonah chapter 2. I'm going to begin in Jonah 1 so that we would remember where we are when Jonah prays what he does in Jonah 2. Jonah 1, right after verse 12, when Jonah says the only way that this deadly storm will quiet down for the sailors in the boat with Jonah, whenever Jonah is fleeing the presence of God, the only way is for them to pick him up and throw him into the sea, which will amount, they know, to his own death. They don't want to do it in verse 13. And so the sea and the storm get more deadly. So verse 14 says, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, And lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging when they threw God's rebellious prophet into it. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then we get to chapter two, which is where we are today. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. You may be seated. Here's the prayer Jonah prays after being hurled to death in the sea. And as we look at the prayer of Jonah, I want you to see 
what the name of the Lord has to do with the prayer. In every single line of the prayer, except for one, the name of the Lord is mentioned or a reference to the Lord is made. Over and over, the emphasis is not just what he prayed or who was praying, but who he was praying to. If I could put it this way, I think we we see the point of the prayer and how Jonah dials and how he hangs up. If you know that that kind of terminology in prayer, how he begins and then how he ends his prayer. Look at the beginning of the prayer in, in verse 2. He says, I called to the Lord. And then he ends the prayer in verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What I want you to see is the point of the prayer, what we should be hearing and what we should learn from the story of Jonah this morning, is that the Lord saves those who call. And really what's most important here is not so much how Jonah dials and Jonah hangs up. Really the point that comes through is that when we dial... God answers. So you think about that moment in your life when you reach out for the person you are desperate will pick up the phone. But you don't know if they will. This is Jonah reaching out to that person. And he is telling us he will answer. Here's the point of the sermon. Our cries can reach the Savior we cannot see. The prayer teaches us this message. Our cries can reach the Savior we cannot see. Point number one comes from verses one through six, where Jonah just reminds us, I was out of sight. Verses one through six, out of sight. To get the point of Jonah 2, we're, we're going to have to especially pay, pay attention to the where and to the when. I'm, I'm go- I hope you're looking at your Bibles because I'm going to be drawing attention to very specific details in here and drawing out points for us in our life. And, and we need to look, first of all, at the where and the when. Look at the where in verse 1. In the belly of the fish Jonah prayed and but then when he gets to verse 2 he tells us what prayer he prayed but this time he's in a different belly and verse 2 is talking about the belly of shale you got to pay attention to how he's he's talking here this is not the same place where he's praying in in verse 1 the recording of the prayer in verses 2 and following, is reflecting on a prayer that he sent up prior to this from the belly of Sheol. Chapter 2 is Jonah looking back from where he is now in the fish to something that happened before when he reached the belly of Sheol, the, the place of death. In other words, chapter 2 is telling us what happened between chapter 1, 15, when they throw Jonah 
out of the boat and hurl him into the sea on his way to death. Jonah 2 is telling us what happened after that and before verse 17. Before the, the, the fish came to get him. This is in between that. The question is how... The question I don't want you to misanswer and misunderstand about this really well-known story is how it is that Jonah gets into the great fish's belly. Do-dee-dum, da-digga, dum-dum-da-dum. Let me do it again. Do-dee-dum, da-digga-dum-dum-da-dum. Do-dee-dum, da-digga-dee-wah. Anyone? Listen. Um, that's, that's the, these are the actual lyrics of the song Big Fish from the band Far From Home. This in the 90s was a song about our text. It, let me tell you what your preacher does to serve you. I felt like I was in the belly of the fish trying to find this thing and then listening to this miserable tune. This was not the high point of Christian music. It's These are the lyrics. Do-dee-dum, da-digga-dum, dum-da-dum. Do-dee-dum, da-digga-dwee-ah. It went on forever. And then he says, he answers the question, how is it that Jonah got in the belly of the fish? And here was the answer. Have you turned your back on his wish? On his will for your life? Have you made him sad? I get what they're saying. That's not how he got in the fish. A clue as to what we're to take home from this chapter is in the observation that chapter 2 looks different on your page than the other chapters of Jonah. You see that? This is a poem in a book that is a story. When God wants our attention, when He wants our hearts to hold on to something, He sings. That's why it looks different like that. Look, He's got this poem here. Whenever sin first came into the world in Genesis 3, all of a sudden out of the story came a poem. Whenever God delivered Israel finally out of the clutches of Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 15, all of a story in the middle of a story, uh, uh, all of a sudden in the middle of a story came a poem, came a, came a song. What does God want our hearts to hold on to? Why is it that Jonah is singing here? How is it that he got from the sea into the belly of the fish? It is not because of his disobedience. That's not how he got into the belly of the fish. That's how he got into the belly of Sheol. Him running from God's will got him a grave. Look in verse 3. You, O Lord, cast me into the deep. In chapter 1, verse 12, whenever the sailors 
Or whenever they threw, whenever I told them to do it, and whenever they threw me into the sea, verse 15, it was you who cast me in. It was your waves. Notice in chapter 2, verse 3. It was your billows. God, you did this. Verse 5, here is the, here is why you threw me in there. It was to take my life away from me. It was to drown me in the deep. This is why he talks about the weeds coming around his, his, his uh, neck, he was going to be strangled to death. Down, down, down went Jonah. And here is the end in verse 6. I got to the land. That is the ocean floor. I came all the way down to where the mountain's roots are. And the bars closed upon me forever. He's talking about his death. As a life sentence forever and ever, I was gonna, gonna die in, in this prison of death. And I, I did not have any hope down there. Or what chapter one told us, leaving the Lord leads to death. And so Jonah in his song is just reflecting upon that. Whenever he refused to obey God, whenever he refused to call against his enemies of Nineveh, Jonah was cast by God to a certain death. Well, then why are you singing, Jonah? Why is this a song of thanksgiving? Because the one who has the right to kill is also the one who saved him from death. Verse one, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly, even of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. Verse six, you brought me up. You brought up my life from the pit and did not let me die. O Lord, my God. Verse four. I am driven away from your sight. And yet he has this confidence. I shall again look upon your holy temple. Jonah had fled the presence of the Lord. That's what he means when he says, I'm driven away from your sight. I had run so far from you. I was out of your presence. I was even out of your sight. In other words, he gets what he was looking for. He didn't want the Lord. He ran from his presence and he got it. I'm so far away. It's like you can't even see me. And he says in this prayer, and even then it wasn't too late. Listen, sin is appealing. It is. None of us would do it if it wasn't. Sin calls to us. It appeals to us and it always delivers to us shame. Fleeing the word, running from God will never, never, never give you the freedom that it promised to you. It will never give you the life that you want. And when you go that far, The God you ran from is the only one who can help you. This story happened 
It may seem impossible. How does a fish swallow a prophet? You you may be so familiar with this story and it may sound fantastic to you, but it actually happened. It's not just a story. Jesus Christ, when he was walking on the earth, talked about Jonah like this really happened, which means it really happened. And this happened, according to Paul, as an example for you and for me. Whenever our sin has brought us to the brink of our destruction, whenever we have run so hard and so far that it is like we reach the bottom of the ocean, we could not be farther away from heaven's God. When He is out of sight, is there any hope there? Is there any hope then? That's what Jonah 2 is about. Our cries can reach the Savior we cannot see. Jonah was out of sight. But then he says in verses 7 through 10, I was still in earshot. Out of sight. Still in earshot. I want you to learn a couple of things from these last few verses. First of all, from verse 7, I want you to learn your range. Learn your range. Maybe you don't understand what I mean by your range. I'll, I'll explain it to you as I explain it to my boys as I'm coaching them primarily in soccer, but then even more recently in basketball. I, I want... Particularly in soccer, I go out to the field with them and, and I, I learn both of my sons and I, and I show to each one of them what their range is. How they may be able to make farther shots than this. They certainly can make closer shots than this, but I want them to understand according to their abilities. When you get at this point in the field, this is when you should be shooting. Like you need to get it to your right and you need to let her rip. That's what you need to be thinking about. That will even be helpful to your team if you get to this point. And you will be effective if you, when you get here, get it to your right and then shoot. I want you to note the range, not of Jonah, but the range of the Lord. This is clearly what he wants us to focus upon. Because look in verse 4, he says, I am out of your sight. I was driven so far away, you could not see me with the range of your eyes. But then he says in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, when I had even gone further down, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. It actually ascended farther than than your eyesight can descend. Now, Can God see Jonah when he's at the bottom of the ocean that God is the Lord of? Of course he can see him. But he makes this poetic point that that is a real point. Whenever you are so far gone that you feel so far away from the God that he can't even see you, he's not looking upon you any longer You need to know you are still in earshot. This is the range of God. 
He can hear your prayers. Even when you're at the bottom of the ocean and you can't verbalize anything because you can't speak down there. I remembered in my mind and then I prayed, he says in verse 7, from his heart, God can hear that. You say, no wait, this is just one passage. We, we can't just take passages in isolation. We can't just learn this lesson about Jonah, if there are other passages that seem to teach something very different, like Psalm 34, verses 15 and 16, which is repeated in the New Testament, First Peter 3, 10 through 12, where the psalmist David says, and then Peter repeats, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are toward the cry of the righteous. But, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And Jonah did evil in, in chapter one. That word evil was repeated over and over in chapter one for what Jonah had done. Now, how is it true that, that God's ears are, are toward Jonah when his face is supposed to be against him? Well, Psalm 34 goes on and it says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. That teaches me a lesson that even when you do evil, there is still something else you can do where God can regard you as righteous. That when you do evil, there's still something that will that will turn the gaze of God, and that is to cry out to him. There, there's a righteous thing that we should do even when we do evil. Even when his face is against, his ears can hear. The Lord, we see, we should, should have felt last week the severity of that discipline in chapter one. He was going to kill Jonah. He was going to kill all the people around Jonah. We should feel the Lord righteously was angry and he intended that storm for what it ended up doing. The sailors didn't die. And Jonah, because they ended up obeying the Lord. And and Jonas was sunk unto death so that he would live. Even when the, the Lord disciplines his people, even when that pain is severe, you need to understand that God gives it to us to serve us and our life. So learn his Range, but also second, don't forsake hope. Verse eight, don't forsake hope. Idols are vain. Don't forsake your hope by reaching for an idol. And this point may be illustrated by that uh, commercial, that Geico commercial, where the alligator is having dinner with his friends from work and the check comes. And you remember how little alligator arms and he just kept saying, can't reach the check. And so everyone just rolling their eyes. Doug, you know, has to pick it up again because the alligator's forever doing this. He never will pay for the meal. I'm convinced that the idea for that ingenious a uh, uh, commercial actually started with my sister-in-law, Kelly's little sister. As a child, 
I, this was the first time I heard this phrase, can't reach, whenever she was asked to do anything around the house. She said, can't reach. Would you, Jenna, would you just vacuum something? Would you vacuum this, can't reach? Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He's telling us to pay attention when we pay regard when we're uncomfortable. When you're in a circumstance that you did not want. When you're in a circumstance that you want out of. You need to pay attention to who you pay regard to. Because many pay regard to idols. Many will turn to other things, something other than God when they're in need. When you're in trouble. When you are sad. When you are scared. Everyone and everything that you turn to other than God is an idol. When you reach for food, when you reach for shopping, when you reach for pleasure, when you reach to friends and family, if they're not there telling you about God and they're not pointing to God, what you're reaching for is in what you're regarding, what you are valuing in that moment of need, of scared, of, of, of anxiety is, is an idol and they're vain. That's why those idol worshipers in chapter one who were worshiping false gods, look back in chapter one, verse five. They are calling out to their gods when the storm comes because they're scared to death. And yet, when they do that, they also, in verse 5, after they cry out to their gods, have to go down to the bottom of the ship and look for some more help by taking the cargo out. They cried out to their gods who did not answer. And so they said, well, then let's go down and throw out the weight. And hopefully we can save ourselves. Idols can't reach. They will never reach out to help. Because they cannot. And regarding anyone or anything that can't reach. Especially when you The problem you're in is your guilt. When you're at the ocean floor of your death because of your sin. If you regard anything or anyone other than God, then you will be, he says in verse 8, forsaking the offer of God of steadfast love. It is a decision in those moments that we're making to turn to what cannot help and away from the one who will help. Idols are vain because they cannot reach. Christ can reach. Whenever we go through the Psalms in this church, we always turn at some point to the point that a psalm sings of Jesus and a psalm is sung by Jesus. And this is a psalm of thanksgiving. And it sings of Jesus and it was sung by Jesus. It is calling us to hear about Jesus and we need to understand and 
Jesus in his righteousness sung these words as well. Hebrews 5 speaks of this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his Reverence, Jesus sung the prayer of Jonah when he was facing death. He sung through tears and cries to the one who could save him from death. And God heard him because of his reverence. Jesus was in a sea, but it wasn't like the sea of that of Noah's day when God's wrath was coming down because of the evil in the hearts of everyone there. It wasn't the kind of sea of God's wrath like in Pharaoh's day when the Red Sea came in on those idol worshipers, Pharaoh and all of his Delta squad and crushed them. It was not like the sea of God's wrath that Jonah is in because of his own sin against God. Jesus, though, did face the sea of God's wrath. He was in danger of death, but he was doing so as a substitute, not as one who had rebelled against God in any way, but as one who was taking the place of of many sinners who had rebelled against God in every way. And God, Jesus cried out to him as he went into the belly of Sheol, save me from this death, from the tomb itself. And God answered him because of his reverence, because he feared God alone. God raised Jesus from the death. You don't deserve this death. You will be raised. And now Hebrews goes on to say he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's what it says after Hebrews 5 verse 7 says that he sings this song. It says that he is sung about in this song. That he is a priest who lives forever. Who lives forever. Because he was saved from death so that he can hear every cry that comes from a spiritual shale. Listen, this you got to get first and foremost. You have fled and I have fled from God. You see all the danger that Jonah's in from one word that he didn't obey? You, You understand that the whole world dies and faces God's condemnation because of one bite of fruit? When you're thinking about your need for salvation, don't just start measuring how many. Don't just measure how weighty. It's not so much how bad you think your disobedience is. What the point that matters is how good the one you disobeyed is. And we we have done far more than flee against just one word. If we're outside of Christ, all of our life is, is ignoring God's word. And we hear the message, if anyone calls on the name of the Lord, he will be saved. Jesus saves because he's up there in heaven and he can still reach down and do it. Verse 8. Christian, there's so much to learn from verse 8. Hope in steadfast love. I want to be really clear about this word, steadfast love. 
It's two words, Ryan. No, it's one word. It's hesed. It is a word that has a meaning that we learn not just in Jonah 2. Hesed is a love that stays. Even in the midst of anger for our sin, the Lord still loves. It, it is a love that at, outlasts what, to whatever degree He's angry about our sin. He's not happy when even His children sin. It is the kind of love that drives His discipline when we sin to a destination that He will get us to. I want you to draw hope from verse 8. Can you expect to receive His love when what has endangered you is your sin against the Lord? I want us to think carefully about this verse so that we can have an answer to the question, do I have any right? Do I have any reason to count on Him loving me then? The first thing you have to just be careful about is understanding that when He talks about in verse 8, steadfast love, He's not talking about God's love for everyone. He is not. You will mishear Jonah. You will cheapen his love. It is not for everyone. The Lord does not love everyone with the brand of love that Jonah's talking about in verse 8. That word first came up in Exodus 34. Whenever God revealed Himself to Moses and said, I am a God to you and to Israel who has steadfast love. I do not have this love for Pharaoh or for Egypt. And I want you not to forsake that kind of hope for that kind of love. And so you first have to ask the question, well, who is it who can have hope for Hesed? And Isaiah 55 tells us. Isaiah 55 tells us. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. And here's the word. My hesed for David. My steadfast, everlasting covenant love that I have for David. Who is it who can expect steadfast love from God? David. The king. That's who God's steadfast love belongs to. That's who can expect it. You see, steadfast love is a covenant blessing for David, the king, who is Jesus Christ. But select sinners can also get in on that hope. Because God offers it to anyone who will incline their ear and hear 
Isaiah 55, right after Isaiah 53, of David, who would sacrifice himself for the sins of many. When he stood in the place of sinners, God is now saying, if you will incline your ear, if you will hear, you will live. If you believe in David, my son Jesus, then I will give to you what only belongs to him. I will give to you steadfast, not ever going to leave you, will never sake you, love. You see, it belongs to David and anyone and everyone who's connected to him by faith. When should you not forsake hope for steadfast love? When Jonah didn't forsake When Jonah remembered the Lord he was in covenant with and cried out to him. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away because God was judging me for my sins. When you're there because of your sin against Him. When you are there Because He is the one who's putting the discipline upon you. When you are there, because He is making you feel all the dangers of death for your choices. When you are there, when you feel so far away from Him, not because you're just, because you're sad because of how other people have hurt you, but I'm talking about when you have willfully like Jonah, when you have wickedly like Jonah, when you have repeatedly like Jonah, when you have committed high-handed sins against God, when you have spurned God's grace, when you have ignored His mercy, whatever would turn His face against you, you remember the lamb carried away from you on the cross. Amen. If you can't, in other words, when you see that word steadfast love, you think of David. And and the reason I want you to think of David and not you and not your merits, because you'll be thinking of your sin and you won't think that's for me. I want you to have hope and steadfast love. You think of Jesus. And if you can't imagine God treating Jesus like that anymore. If you're connected to him by faith, he will not do it to you. He will not forsake you. That is what the gospel gives us. That kind of hope. That is alive when we're dying in our own sin. When my life was fainting away, verse 7. That's when, when I was almost dead, my last breath even, should be used to cry out to him. When you cannot speak, he heard the prayer that Jonah thought. He's going to hear the cries of my heart. Even then, when you're here because of your sin, cry to the Savior with total confidence that what you will get is what He alone deserves, and that is the steadfast love of God. Verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Of course you can't ask Him to save you any old way you want. You can't just ask Him, cry out to Him to do whatever you want. It belongs to the Lord. He is the Lord. He owns it. He possesses it, this salvation. But the one who salvation belongs to has said He would bestow that salvation on anyone who cries out to Him. 
the Lord over all has compassion to any who cry to him. Learn his range, beloved. Even when your trouble for your sin has taken you so away from God. Remember this. He will hear my prayer. Though you cannot see Jesus, he is not an unloving idol. He is not a can't reach idol. One more encouragement I want to give you before we close in Jonah chapter two. And that is to speak a little bit more about what Jonah two is doing in Jonah. It's to teach this message that faithfulness comes only after forgiveness. It's chapter three that he will go and be faithful to the call of God. And that came after he was forgiven in chapter two. That's why he says, what I have vowed, I will pay. I will go and do what a prophet should do. And he does that in chapter three. Faithfulness follows forgiveness. And in that message and in Jonah's example, we can be encouraged on how we should be faithful to God. Really, Jonah has recorded for us two prayers, one from the belly of Sheol and then this other one from the belly of the fish that Jonah prays and results in verse 10 of God speaking to the fish and vomiting him out on dry land. The first prayer he prayed was when he was sinking down to the sea before the fish had even been called to him. Whenever he cried out, the fish came to save him. That's where the fish fits in. The fish is his salvation. Picks him up from the bottom and carries him to the top. And that teaches us that his safety was secure whenever he cried out to God. But then the other prayer he prays from the belly of the fish itself. Teaches us something as well. When he was saved from death, he then prayed a prayer of praise. First, save me. Now I praise you for saving me. In other words, salvation was ultimately and finally and fully delivered once he was done testifying. Hope you can follow me here. He's safe right when he asks. But then after he gets safe, he's not on dry land yet. He's still in the belly of the fish and he starts testifying to the Savior. And then after that prayer, God speaks a word to the fish and he vomits him out. In other words, we're to testify of the Savior all the way until we're safe. That means your counting on salvation must not stop when you first cry out to it. After you cry out to it, until you're all the way home, Jonah shows us what it means to testify to the Savior all the way till you get to the land. He has saved me and he's going to keep me. He's totally confident. I'm going to make it all the way up to the dry land. So he's testifying to the Savior. And that's what faithfulness looks like for us. 
It's a life that says he has saved me and he will keep me. He will keep me. Oh God, we thank you that our cries can reach the Savior we cannot see. God forbid that our sight of our sin, our awareness of our sin, our awareness of our suffering should not make us doubt the Savior who's not standing right in front of us. But rather, we would cry out to him and understand that he hears us and that he will keep us. Make us a faithful people who will testify of the Savior all the way till we're home and not not look back once, but even though we're still not fully delivered, when we're still experiencing even the discipline of our sin, may we still say, He has saved me and He will keep me. That is faith. And God, You will give love that is steadfast to all who are united to Your Son. May we believe that. In Jesus' name, amen.